behind Mr. Brown's chair to stand in the corner of the classroom beside the flagstand. The eyes did not follow me. The lids blinked slowly. But the next moment, the eyes flicked to mine again and a shock went through me. I gasped and the flag behind me stirred. Yet this boy's expression never changed. And next moment, he was staring at the blackboard again. His features were so blank, I decided I had imagined it. He had looked to the corner because I had disturbed the flag a little. This happened frequently. If I were to move too quickly to near an object, it might tremble or rock, but not much and never when I wanted it to. When you are light, it is not the breeze of your rushing past a flower that makes it tremble, nor is it the brush of your skirts that starts a drape fluttering. When you are light, it is only your emotions that can send a ripple into the tangible world. A flash of frustration when your host closes a novel he is reading too soon might stir his hair and cause him to check the window for a draft. A sigh of mourning at the beauty of a rose you cannot smell might startle a bee away. Or a silent laugh at a misused word might cause a student's arm to prickle with an inexplicable chill. The bell rang, and every student, including this pale young man, slapped books closed and stood, with a scrape of chair feet, shuffling toward the door. Mr. Brown snapped immediately from his bed dream. I'll bring a video tomorrow, he said, and don't fall asleep during it, or I'll make you act it out yourselves. Two or three of his students groaned at his threat, but were already gone, mentally, if not physically. So this was how it began. When you are light, day and night have less meaning. The night is not needed for rest. It's merely an annoying darkness for several hours. But a chain of days and nights is the way in which the quick measure their journeys. This is the story of my journey back through the quick. I would climb into flesh again for a chain of six days. I stayed shamefully close to my Mr. Brown for the rest of the day. When you cleave to a host, it is not necessary to shadow the person from room to room. I would never follow a male host into the bath, for instance, or into the marriage bed, man or woman. I learned from the beginning how to survive. From the moment I found my first host, I had been devoted to the rules that kept my punishment at bay. I remembered all my hauntings clearly, but only a few images stayed with me from the time before I was light. I remembered a man's head on the pillow beside me. He had straw-colored hair, and when he opened his eyes, he was looking not at me, but toward the window where wind was rattling in the pane. A handsome face that brought no comfort. I remembered catching a glimpse of my own eyes in the window reflection as I watched this man ride away on a black horse through the farm gate, the horizon heavy with clouds and I remembered seeing a pair of frightened eyes looking up at me, full of tears. I could remember my name, my age, that I was a woman, but death swallowed the rest. The pain, once I was dead, was very memorable. I was deep inside the cold, smothering belly of a grave when my first haunting began. I heard her voice in the darkness reading Keats, Ode to a Nightingale, Icy water was burning down my throat, splintering my ribs, and my ears were filled with a sound like a demon howling. But I could hear her voice and reached for her. 
One desperate hand burst from the flood and caught the hem of her gown. I dragged myself hand over hand out of the earth and quaked at her feet, clutching her skirts, weeping muddy tears. All I knew was that I had been tortured in the blackness and then I had escaped. Perhaps I hadn't reached the brightness of heaven, but at least I was here, in her lamplight, safe. It took me a long time to realize that she was not reading to me, nor were her shoes spotted with mud. I held her, yet my arms did not wrinkle the folds of her dress. I cried at her feet like a wretch about to be stoned, kissing the hem of Christ's garment. But she didn't see me, couldn't hear my sobs. I looked at her, a fragile face, pale but rosy at the cheeks and nose, as if it were always winter around her. She had gray duck-down hair piled on her head like a bird's nest and sharp green eyes, clever as a cat's. She was solid and warm with a fluttering pulse. She wore a black dress with mismatched buttons, the elbows worn thin. Tiny spots of ink dotted her butter-colored shawl. The cover of the little book in her hands was embossed with the figure of a running stag. It was all real and blazing with detail, but I was shadow, light as mist, mute as the wallpaper. Please help me, I said to her, but deaf to me, she turned the page. Thou wast not born for death, immortal bird. As she read aloud the familiar words, I knew what I was. I stayed by her side for hours afraid that if I looked away from her or tried to remember too hard how I had come to be in hell, I would be thrown back there. After a score of pages, my host closed her book. I was frightened by the idea that she might put out the light when she went to her bed, and this panic made me fall on her again. I threw my head into her lap like a heartbroken child. The book fell from her hands and dropped through me onto the floor. I was startled at the painless flick of sensation. My host bent to retrieve the book of poems, and as her body passed through me, I felt myself dropping down and then soaring up again as if I were on a child's swing. A most peculiar expression came over her face. She placed the volume carefully under the lamp on the desk beside her and took up pen and paper. She dipped at the ink and began to write. A suitor bet upon one knee, death asked me for my hand. I could tell by the black stains on her fingertips that, most likely, these were not the first lines she had ever written. I couldn't tell whether I had inspired her, but I prayed that I had. If I could do some scrap of good, perhaps I would be granted entrance into heaven. All I knew was that this saint was my salvation from pain and that I would be hers until the day she died. And that's what I called her, my saint. She was as poised as a queen and as kind as an angel. I was confined to her world, but was not her equal. I could fantasize that we were sisters or the best of friends, but I was still only her visiting ghost. I was a prisoner on leave from the dungeon. I knew nothing of my crime or the length of my sentence, but I knew I would do whatever I could to avoid being tortured. Alone in the lilac air of her country garden, I glided round her while she wrote hundreds of poems, her hair and her eyes slowly growing white.
One evening, when I had been moving with her along the road to the woods and back, we stopped to observe a fly struggling in a web while a spider waited on a leaf and watched. I could feel my saint devising a poem about the possibility of spider amnesty, but what I didn't realize was that she had stopped watching them and had marched home and was already dipping in ink before I turned to find her gone. At first I thought, she must be just a few yards ahead, hidden by the hedges at the curve of the road. I rushed toward our home, but it was too late. The old pain returned first to my feet like ice slippers and up my legs, slowing me to a crawl. I could still see the road in front of me, but as I fell forward, I heard a splash and cold rods shot up my arms and into my heart. I called to her until my mouth was full of water. The evening had gone black as my grave. I was back in the hell I'd known before I'd found her. I tried to do what I had done the first time I'd heard her voice. I thrust out my hands, feeling blindly for her skirts, but I felt only wet wooden boards. Clawing at them, I felt a corner and then a flat shelf, then another shelf. I dug into the boards and pulled myself up. When I reached out this time, I felt a shoe. The darkness swam into warm light. I looked up to see my saint standing on the wooden steps of her pantry, a pen in one hand and a half-written poem in the other. She gazed out at the dusk garden as if she'd heard an intruder in her rose bushes. I was lying on her steps, one hand gripping her shoe, thanking God for letting me come back to her. After that, I was ever so careful about staying close to my hosts. On my saint's final day, I hoped so passionately that she would take me with her into...